0: Well, as I indicated when we were getting started this morning, our students have been a part of Disciple Now. It has been a weekend in which our students have been saturated in the Word, and that's always a good thing, isn't it, to be saturated in the Word. They have worshiped together, studied together, prayed together, ate together, laughed together, and have been strengthened together. All this has happened as a result of them gathering around the Word, just as we are doing this morning. Back in 1990, I participated in my very first disciple now weekend as a junior in high school and the theme that year was the race is on and that the the verse was found in Philippians chapter 3 14 which says I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus now that was the most life-changing weekend of my life up until that point because it was out of that weekend that I would surrender to full-time vocational ministry. Disciple Now is a powerful weekend. I've seen from weekends like this, the lost get saved, the wayward return to Christ, the broken relationships mended, and many students surrender to the ministry. I know this weekend has been life-changing for our students. Please continue to pray for them. They're not done yet. Right now they should be over consuming a bunch of breakfast in Building B. But in a few minutes, they'll be gathering again in small groups and continue studying and spending time in the Word together. Their theme for the weekend has been upstream, and and kind of the thought is going against the flow, and and so that's what they've been learning. This morning, um, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture found in Acts chapter seventeen, and this is a a, a, a chapter that I preached on one other time. Um, that I can recall, but this is actually one of my favorite passages of Scripture in all of the Bible because it's a story about a group of men that literally turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ, and that's what we're praying for our students, that they will do that, and we're praying for all of us in this room as well, that we will turn the world upside down for Jesus. So notice these words found in Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis And at Polonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scripture, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, they formed a Set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decree of Caesar, saying that the, there is no other king, um, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money and security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. You know, what these unsaved people recognized in Paul and Jason and the others, a group of people that not only had been radically changed by Jesus, but they were a group of people that were radically changing the world for Jesus, right? That's what we've been called to do as believers in Jesus Christ, Take what God has done in us and transfer it to other people. And that's what we see um, in the life of Paul and Silas and Jason and the many others. Our message point this morning is this. Jesus is a better world changer. Since the beginning of time, people have been changing the world for Jesus, haven't they? And they have just been simply changing the world. Some of the greatest world changers have been people like Noah and Abraham Moses, and David, and Peter, and Paul, and within um, society, People like Christopher Columbus, Benjamin Franklin, George Washington, Rosa Parks, Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr., Henry Ford, Mother Teresa, and, and people like Fanny Crosby. The list goes on and on. Each of these men and women turned the world upside down. Some of them turned the world upside down technologically, some politically, some socially, and some turned the world upside down for Jesus, and that's what we're looking at this morning People that turn the world upside down for Jesus. So notice our first point this morning. It is this, Paul's faithfulness to the gospel. Paul was not always faithful to the gospel, was he? You know, it it could be, uh, in fact, he was anything but faithful um, to the gospel before he was radically changed on the road to Damascus. We are first introduced to him in Acts chapter 7. Remember in Acts chapter 7 is where Stephen stood before the religious leaders and, and preached one of the most powerful sermons in all of Scripture. And as a result of the, the message that he preached, he was drugged outside of the city gates. And while outside of the city gates, he would be stoned to death. And Scripture tells us that those, um, the crowd had laid their garments at the feet of a young man by the name of Saul, who would later become Paul. And, 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 and soon after this, we read of Paul's evilness. Paul was an evil man before he was radically changed by Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 8, 3, we read, "...but Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison." Uh, and and he would continue this he would eventually go to the the chief priest and while while talking to the tree, chief priest he got permission to go to Damascus where where he would go into the synagogue and he was going to arrest everyone belonging to the way both men and women and have them um, brought back bound to Jerusalem. And we know what happened on the road to Damascus. In verse 3 of Acts chapter 9, we read, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. It would be on the road to Damascus that Paul's life would forever change. Jesus would appear to Paul on that day, and Paul would go from breathing murderous threats against Christians to becoming um, a person whom murderous threats would be hurled at, right? Right? Um, so, so, here's what I love about Paul's testimony. His testimony makes it abundantly clear that Jesus can transform the life of anyone. There is no one too far gone from, from, from the saving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He can save the vilest of criminals. He can save the murderers. He can save the thieves. And he can also save the complacent, can't he? What we can learn from Paul is this. We need to be faithful to the gospel mission. Notice what we read in verses 1 and 2 again um, in Acts chapter 17. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis, In Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, on three Sabbath days. You see what Paul did here? For three Sabbath days, this would mean that for for at least three weeks, Paul was in the city of Thessalonica. And for three weeks, he went into the synagogue and he preached to the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks. We are told this was his custom. This is what Paul did. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is it that you do for Christ that has become your custom, that has become a reoccurring event, something that, that you do for the Lord on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, or a reoccurring basis? Some of you, man, you do do much for the Lord on a reoccurring basis. You teach a Bible study class. You invest in the lives of children. You are active in a particular area of ministry or mission. You lead studies in your homes. Some of you lead studies at your places of employment. And some of our students lead Bible studies in their schools. Some of you, though, do nothing on a reoccurring basis. Paul had a mission, and that mission led him to get in front of lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ on a reoccurring basis. Paul told young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. What powerful words those are. Paul was telling Timothy to to continue doing what he was doing for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was faithful to the gospel truth as well. In verse 2 again we read, And Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with the people from Scripture. You see what Paul did? Paul did not stand before people and give his opinion, did he? Paul did not stand before people and offer up a comic routine, did he? No, Paul stood before them, and he not only preached the good news, but this passage of Scripture says that Paul reasoned with the people, meaning that Paul had a dialogue with the people. He had a conversation with them. In, In the middle of church, basically, he said, "'Does anybody have a question for me this morning?' I'm not about to do that with you this morning. But that's what we have with Paul. It was a dialogue that occurred while he he taught within the synagogue. The Greek word for reason here means that there was an exchange between them. People asked questions, and Paul provided them with answers. What can we learn from Paul's dialogue here? Paul not only could preach the word, but he also could defend the word, couldn't he? Can that be said of us in this room? Are you able to defend the truth? Are you able to answer the countless people outside of the doors of this church that have questions about Christianity, questions about Jesus, questions about salvation and sin and what is biblical morality? How, or or do you, can you answer a person when, when they ask you, how do I get into heaven? Again, Paul said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. We need to always be ready to to give an account of God's word to those that we do life with. It's essential that we read the word and study the word and meditate on the word and apply the word and hide the word and share the word. That is what we are to do. That's what God's word tells us that we are to do. Let's be people of the word my friends not only for our spiritual growth but for the sake of those that do not have a relationship with jesus christ like like paul we must be faithful to the gospel message in verse three we read explaining and proving that it was necessary for the christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying this jesus whom i proclaim to you is the christ you know paul was one of the most brilliant men, men of his days I mean, people say that he was being trained um, to, 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 to one day become the chief priest himself after the order of Gamaliel. I mean, he was a brilliant man. But, but what I love about Paul is everywhere he went, regardless of the crowd, he, he preached a simple message, didn't he? He stood before the crowds and he taught that Christ had to suffer, that Christ had to die and that he was raised to life three days later. He taught that Jesus indeed is the Christ. And as we've been walking through our Hebrews sermon series, there is no better news than to know that the Messiah had come. And that's what Paul was trying to trying to let everybody know whenever he stood before them that there is no greater Savior than Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question this morning. What keeps you from sharing your faith? What keeps you from sharing the good news of salvation with other people? Is it because you think the gospel message is too complicated? Maybe you feel that you're underqualified. Maybe you think that you don't know enough to share with another person. What is the gospel? It's the story of Jesus, isn't it? It's the story of his life, his death, and his resurrection. When you share the gospel with someone, you are telling them about Jesus. You're telling them about what he did for you and why he came. You are also telling others what Jesus did for you, how he died for you, how he saved you from your sins, and how he provided you with the gift of eternal life. And that's the gospel. That's what Paul did in the synagogue and in houses. And as he went from point A to point B, from city to city, he preached a simple message about what Jesus Christ had done for him. And that's the message that we are to preach as well. What he did for you is exactly what he can do for your family members, your co-workers, your neighbors, and even for our students, their classmates. Paul was committed to sharing the gospel message with others. The question is, are you committed like he was? Notice the gospel's impact. In verse 4 we read, And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. When Paul preached, people believed. Not all believed. I mean, that's clear here. Some of the people believed. You and I are not guaranteed success when we share the gospel, are we? But you know what we are guaranteed of? We're guaranteed that God is going to count us faithful when we share the good news of salvation with other people. You and I get nobody saved, okay? The Holy Spirit does the work of salvation in another person's life. You and I are the messengers that he has set apart for this particular time in human history to go and to share the good news of salvation with others. We get to tell people about Jesus, we get to tell people how they can be saved, how they can be forgiven, how they can find hope, and how they can experience peace. In Romans ten fourteen through 15, Paul, Paul wrote these words, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. How beautiful it is when you and I are faithful to the gospel message and share it with other people. You and I get to tell people about the greatest man that has ever walked the face of this earth. We get to introduce many, many people to the God of the universe and his son, Jesus Christ. What a message we have. What a privilege it is to be ambassadors of Jesus. Notice next, the crowd's rebellion against the gospel. Not everyone responds favorably to the gospel, do they? How many of you have ever been rejected by the gospel as a result of sharing the gospel with somebody? All of us probably have. If you haven't ever been rejected, then you're the greatest soul winner that's ever walked the face of this earth or you're not actively sharing the gospel with other people because we're going to be rejected. That's just part of, 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 of life. Jesus made it clear that not everybody is going to be followers of his because not everybody was willing to give up in order to follow after Jesus. We can be certain that the world is threatened by the gospel. We read in verse 5, but the Jews were jealous. You know, it was always jealousy that led to the persecution of the Christians by the Jewish leaders in the first century. The Jews witnessed person after person after person leave the synagogue to follow after Jesus. And for these religious leaders, they did not like it when people left their places of worship to follow after Jesus, did they? You know, there's a a lot of people... That our pastors today, man, they take it, and I, and I do to an, a, an extent, take it personal when someone leaves this church to go to another church just a couple of miles down the road because of, of, of maybe um, something happened here that they weren't happy with or maybe it was because of something that I, I did. Um, you know, they, we, we take it serious, and, 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 and sometimes we get a little jealous. Satan loves it when we get jealous, doesn't he? Man, Satan loves the fact that when jealousy enters into a congregation or when jealousy enters into the heart of a leader. You know, the first murder was a result of jealousy, wasn't it? Cain killed Abel because God approved of Abel's offering and not Cain's. The first century religious leaders not only um, became jealous, but they incited a mob to go after those that preached Jesus. The world opposes the gospel, doesn't it? In verse 5 we read, But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd." The world opposes the gospel because they oppose you. How many times have you been told not to speak the name of Jesus? Has that ever happened at your place of employment? Have you ever been told to keep your religion to yourself? To keep your Jesus to yourself? That is happening more and more within our society, isn't it? More and more has it happened in our places of employment, in our government buildings, as well as within our schools. We are being told not to speak the name of Christ. People oppose the gospel not because they oppose you, but because they oppose Jesus. Just remember that, okay? They oppose because they oppose Jesus, not because they oppose you. As a result of this, the world oppresses the gospel messengers. In verse 6, we read, And when they could not find them, They dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities. In many parts of the world today, the punishment for being a Christian is imprisonment. In some places, the punishment for being a Christian is actually death. We know that there was countless people in the New Testament that would die a martyr's death, as there have been throughout um, human history. Think about the first 12. The verse 12 disciples, one of those men betrayed Jesus. Ten of those men, um, it is believed, died a martyr's death, died as a result of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Only one of the disciples did not see physical death, and that was the apostle John. But we know, if you read the New Testament, that John experienced great persecution and great turmoil throughout his life. We don't know exactly who Jason was. But we can probably confidently believe that it was in his home that Christians would gather together to worship. His home was a place of prayer. It was a place of worship, a place of fellowship, a place where the the word was shared and the lost got saved, where believers were equipped. May that be said of our homes as well. May our homes be places of worship. May our homes be places in which lives are forever transformed for Jesus Christ. Notice what the gospel does and faithfulness produces. We see here that the gospel ignites Change The gospel changes people, doesn't it? The gospel changes a person's mission, and a, and the gospel changes a person's destiny, doesn't it? It reveals to us that we have a God-given potential. We have God-given purposes. Paul, Jason, Silas, and the others, notice what they did. In verse 6 again we read, And when they could not find them, They dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down, Have come here also. What a testimony that would be. These men are not the ones that said, We are turning the world upside down for Jesus, are they? They were being accused of turning the world upside down for Jesus. When was the last time you or I have been accused of turning the world upside down for Jesus? You know, I just love this. The lost were saying these things about the, 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 about Jason and Paul and Silas. The news of Jesus and the work of Jesus had been spreading throughout the known world. Now Jesus had come to Thessalonica. The result, a city being turned upside down for Jesus. In Acts eleven twenty six, 26, we read that it was in Antioch. That, that believers were first called Christians. Most likely it wasn't the Christians that called themselves Christians. It was the people within Antioch that looked at these men and women and determined that they were followers of Christ and they were given the name Christian. Folks, to me there is no greater compliment that we can receive as believers than to be accused of creating um, um, chaos within the heart of unbelievers. May it be said of us that we have turned the world upside down for Jesus. Don't you want to turn the world upside down for Jesus? Don't you want to be a world changer for Jesus Christ? Don't you want to know that one day when you're standing in the heavenlies that people are coming up to you and telling you, thank you. For being obedient to the gospel message as a result of your mission, as a result of your words, as a result of your faithfulness, I am here in heaven today. There used to be a song, um, I guess there's still a song that's called Thank You. But the song was all about um, about people um, in the heavens saying thank you for being obedient to the gospel message. Notice next our priority. We read in verse 7, And Jason has received them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another King Jesus. Our allegiance and our priority always must be to Christ and not to Caesar, not to a president, not to a government official. That is not popular speech these days. It was not popular for the early believers when they chose not to bow at the feet of Caesar religious leaders or anyone else these people knew that there, that that the threat was not Paul the pre- threat was not Silas or Jason or Peter the threat was Jesus and they were threatened by the 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 movement that Christ had created throughout the known world and there are parts of our world today where that movement is just exploding Jesus is exploding. The name of Jesus is exploding throughout the Middle East, throughout Asia. But it seems kind of in the Americas these days that that Jesus isn't exploding here as much as he was um, even 20, 30, 40 years ago. Our baptism numbers are significantly down today than they were even 20 years ago. What does that tell us? That people aren't getting saved today like they were many years ago. You and I need to be faithful to the gospel message. Notice next, the gospel will cause a disturbance. In verse 8 we read, and the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. The gospel will always and has always caused a disturbance, and it will continue to cause disturbances within our homes, within our schools, within our places of employment, within our government buildings. We as believers must create a disturbance within this world for Jesus. We must, as this Disciple Now theme has been, we must go upstream. Let us go against the flow. Let us become world changers. Let us become men and women and students and children that turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. There are countless numbers of people outside of the doors of this church that are in desperate need of repenting of their sins and believing in Jesus and crying out to Jesus to be Lord and Savior of their lives. So let's go to them. Let's be obedient to the gospel message and let's become a church that 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 people are saying of us. That we're turning the world upside down for Jesus because of the work that's happening outside the doors of Friendship Baptist Church, the the community of Fairview and Allen and 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 Lucas and Wiley and Plano and McKinney and the surrounding areas are being turned upside down for Jesus Christ. What 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 must we do in order for that to happen? Well, we need to become people of the Word. We need to allow the Word to saturate in us so that it gets out of us. We need to read the Word, study the Word, meditate on the Word, apply the Word, hide the Word, and we need to respond to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who is it that you know this morning that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Who is it that you know that you need to go to with the gospel and share with? Who is it that you can do that with this week it may be a family member it may be a coworker it may be a neighbor but let's be obedient to the gospel message this morning Let's go against the flow. Let's go upstream. Let's go and do what's not popular these days, and that is to share the good news of salvation with other people. You may be here this morning, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I want to invite you to come during this time of invitation. You may be here this morning, and the Lord is leading you to make friendship your church home, and we want to invite you to do that. Let's stand together, and we're going to pray together. And if there's a decision you need to make this morning, you come. You come. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. Again, just thanking you for the opportunity, Lord Jesus, to worship you. Thanking you for the opportunity, Lord, just to gather around your word. Thanking you, Father, for the story um, of of men like Paul and and, and Silas and Jason, who who they were accused of turning the world upside down for you. May uh, May we be accused of creating chaos within this world like they did for you. Not, not because we're trying to advance our own agenda, but because we're trying to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ across the street and around the world. Lord, move now during this time of invitation. If there's a decision that needs to be made, Lord, I pray, Father, that you'll draw the lost unto yourself, Father. Lord, if there's someone here this morning um, that you're leading to make friendship at their church home, may they do that this morning as well. For us in Jesus' name we